Welcome to the Renting Rhino podcast. I'm Tim Carson, and this podcast series is from our latest men's conference at New West Community Church, where I'm the Associate Pastor of Discipleship. We are a Baptist church committed to a Reformed theology, expositional preaching, intentionally intercultural, and hold a high view of God and the scriptures. If you want to know more about New West Community Church, you can find us at newwestcommunitychurch.com. The men's conference theme was Man's Quest for Meaning, and this episode is a recording of the second session entitled Man's Quest for Joy by Pastor Gary Zekfeld. My name is uh, Gary Zekfeld. I'm the pastor of New Westminster United Reformed Church. And over the years, I've uh, gotten to know uh, Pastor Paul very well. And where he, oh, there he is. And now getting to know more and more people, including Pastor, uh, Pastor Tim as well. And myself and a few other members from our congregation are working uh, together with Pastor Paul and, and some others from this congregation to uh, uh, on Compass Christian School. And so that's been a great joy and, and blessing to us. My, I'm wear, married to my wife, Hannah, and we have four children, ages 6 to 13. And hopefully tomorrow morning, my son will be here with me, 645. <laughs> Quest for joy. Thank you, Pastor Carson, for that quest for legacy. Challenging, good, um, yeah, just very, very timely and good to hear. I don't know how many days I have left if I live to be. What was it, 85? Yeah, okay. So, quest for joy. I, I don't have 45 minutes, right? We want to, I do? I might not take it all. Okay. Please turn with me to Psalm 16. Psalm 16. I'm not this. I'm very used to exegetical uh, or expository preaching. Uh, this evening is going to be a little bit different. I'm not going to be walking through Psalm 16 and expositing it. Um, it'll be sort of our launching pad into a quest for joy. And then we'll be considering a few other scripture passages with regards to, to joy. Hopefully, um, trust that it will be a blessing to us all. Psalm 16. Interestingly enough, this is one of the first passages I wrote a sermon on and preached it. Uh, summer following my first year of seminary, I was petrified. And when I was the three years I was in seminary, we would often uh, preach in area churches you know, to grow and as we were writing and learning, also to grow in the practice of it. Psalm 16 was what we called my thousand dollar sermon. Not because it was great, but because I preached it so many times and made a thousand dollars on it. So Psalm 16, a mictam of David. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord... You are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the lands, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delights. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lots. 
The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also, my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Psalm 16. Eternal or fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. Quest for joy, I'd like to subtitle this talk. Solid joys and lasting pleasures. Uh, Solid joys and lasting pleasures. First question for us, what is joy? What is joy? It is all over the Bible. I think especially the Psalms. Shout for joy to the Lord. Rejoice with trembling. Joy is all over the Bible. What is it? What is joy? I find it very hard to define. I'm going to make a stumbling effort at at a definition this evening, but acknowledging the fact that our human definitions, our response to the Bible, we can never fit all of the Bible into that definition, but it's hopefully a helpful way in. And then we will... uh, Consider a number of aspects of joy as, uh, as the Bible teaches us. What is joy? Well, other, you know, synonyms of joy, other words for joy would be gladness or maybe happiness. That is true happiness. It's often expressed in scripture, at least in the Psalms, with exuberance, with shouting and singing. And yet we would say that's not shouting and and exuberance isn't of the essence of joy. It is an expression or can be an expression, a very proper one of joy. Yet it doesn't belong to the essence of joy. Because we know at the same time, the Apostle Paul says, as sorrowful and yet always rejoicing. That even in sorrow, that joy can be there. Joy can be expressed in the midst of tears or through tears. Joy can be quiet, a quiet and calm confidence. Popularly, joy is also associated with laughter. And yet we acknowledge, well, laughter itself is not of the essence of joy. Even in laughter, says the, uh, uh, says the author of Ecclesiastes, even in laughter, the heart may ache. You can spend all kinds of time going to comedy clubs and still not know joy. You could laugh your head off, but it's cheap. It's only skin deep. Joy, as we experience it, as we know it, is, is deep. It is abiding. It is there even, even if sometimes it's so obscured and so small, yet for God's people, it remains there even in the midst of the darkest and the deepest of trials and the deepest grief and sadness and loss. Joy is there. The Lord Jesus Christ said to his disciples and through them to, to all of his, his people, that he gives us a joy that no one can take away. Joy is that deep and abiding. Uh, it's, it's a deep and abiding gift. 
So here's, here's an attempt at a, at a definition. Joy is, quite simply, a deep satisfaction in that which is truly good. Joy is a deep satisfaction in that which is truly good. And of course, that good ultimately is God. It's a deep satisfaction in God, a deep satisfaction, and we can include for that a yearning and longing for that which is truly good. Certainly on this side of glory, joy is, is, is it, it includes that yearning, that longing for God. Deep satisfaction in and, and longing for him. A couple things. Uh, a couple things that emerged from Psalm 16 about joy, and then we're going to cycle through them again and consider some application. How to grow in joy. Uh, what are the enemies of joy? And so forth. Well, first of all, joy is a gift from God. Verse 2 of Psalm 16, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. And later on, we hear that it's in God's presence that there is fullness of joy. At his right hand, there is pleasures forevermore. God is ultimately our joy. He is the giver of joy. And so we hear in Galatians 5 verse 22 that joy is one of the fruit of the spirits. That those who belong to Christ, those who are indwelt by the spirits, that is part of, of his fruit in their lives. It is a gift from God. It is he who gives it. And ultimately then, and we'll meditate more on that, that God himself is our joy. The one who gives, the giver of joy is ultimately the one in whom we find that joy. Spiritual joy is also, or true joy is also a command. Philippians 4, rejoice in the Lord Always, again, I will say rejoice. I don't know if how many of you uh, are familiar with Rosaria Butterfields, a, uh, a, a great woman of, of God, and I'm very grateful for the things that she has written. Well, one of the things she says that we like to repeat at our home, especially when it's Christmas time or birthday time and we're giving gifts, we say to our kids, lower your expectations and choose joy. <laughs> Lower your expectations and choose joy. We like to use that one. <clears throat> they don't always respond well to that. <clears throat> but it is, it is a command. It's a command that, that overrides our feelings. And we'll have an opportunity to consider that again a little bit later. Just, just going through some of the, the truths about about uh, about joy, and we 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 see David making that choice here. I say to the Lord, "You are my Lord. I have no good apart from you." He's not saying, you know, this is this is what I'm feeling right now. He's saying, saying, "This is my commitment. This is my faith. This is my confession. I know this to be true, even if I don't always feel it." Spirit, our joy is a both a present reality. And it's a future possession. As we go through Psalm 16, we, we can hear this joy, the satisfaction in God pulsing through the psalm. But it's at the very end that he says, in your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hands are pleasures forevermore. He's talking about those eternal joys. 
at the right hand of God in the new creation or, or before the new creation in heaven when he goes, when his soul goes there to be with God or our souls go to be with God, that eternal pleasure. My, uh, my daughter, this is, this is a while ago now. She was quite young. My daughter, Maria. I remember around the dinner table one day as we were talking about heaven, she was troubled. She said, Dad, I don't, you know, she's just being honest. I don't want to go to heaven. I want to stay here. I want to be home. And I remember that I found that really touching. And I thought this is an opportunity to say, look, the, the, the joy, yeah, the, the pleasure you experience right now, Maria, at home, that, that's good. That's the way God designed that to be. But that is just a little, little taste of the joy of heaven. That there, the, there is no ache. There is no more yearning. It is eternal joy. This, what, you, what you have here, Maria, is just a little, little glimpse, a little taste. And we never get bored, right? It's eternal. There's fullness of it. So it never runs out. We're never growing bored of, of our joy in the Lord. So it's both a present reality. We have it. It's the possession of, of every believer. It waxes and wanes. It's sometimes stronger, sometimes weaker, but it is ours. Jesus promised that to us, right? Your joy, no one will ever take away from you. And yet at the same time, where there's this yearning, there's this longing for the more that Christ has, has also promised that he will bring with him on that great day. Also, joy embraces God and all his created gifts. And I want to spend, again, a little bit more time on that later, especially to remember that when we say, well, God is our joy, that doesn't mean that. So all of life is trying to despise created things, earthly things, because we need more of God, sort of that monastic ideal. That's not quite fair. Not all, you know, monks weren't weren't always that way, but it can be that idea of, of, of knowing God as our joy means trying to be free of all earthly things. Now we don't want to be enchained. We don't want to be enslaved to created gifts, but we see here in Psalm 16, part of David's joy in the Lord is when he looks around in verse five, not only in verse 3 does he talk about the other, other believers, they are the excellent ones in whom is all his delights. But in verse, verse 5, he says, the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. So God is my joy. God's my portion. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. That language of inheritance and the pleasant places, the, the boundary lines is what he's talking about. Uh has that is that imagery of the Israelites coming into the land of Canaan and they're finding out from God where their little piece of land is, where their inheritance is in the land. It's a very earthy joy that David is speaking of here. It's not ultimately located in earthly things. It's ultimate ultimately comes from God, but we enjoy God. We have joy in God as we enjoy his created things. So a few, a few things there. It's a gift from the Lord, a fruit of the Spirit. It's also a command. Rejoice in the Lord. Come, let's, let's worship. Let's shout for joy to our God. 
It's a present reality as well as a future inheritance. So it's here now, but there's more to come. It sometimes almost gets swallowed up in this life, and yet it never, it's never completely lost for the child of God. And one day it will be a eternal and full and consummate inheritance. And then fourthly, spiritual enjoy embraces God and all his created gifts. So having noted a few of those aspects of joy, now, how do we grow in joy? What are, what are some of the points of application from this? Well, first, let's consider what are the enemies of joy? And it should be obvious to us that the first and the greatest enemy of joy is sin. Sin is an enemy of joy. If you turn with me a little bit later to Psalm, a little further in your Bibles to Psalm 51, I trust we are familiar with that. David, the same man who writes Psalm 16 and can so fervently express his joy in God, falls into grievous sin. He doesn't stop being a child of God, backslides very far, very falls very hard. And one of the things that comes with that is this loss of joy. I don't believe ultimately a complete loss of joy, but certainly the, the sense of it. And so he says in verse um, 8 and 12, he's grieving before the Lord over his sin. He says, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. And then in verse 12, again, restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. And it doesn't matter what sin it is, but sin robs our joy. Also, I'm reminded of Jeremiah chapter 2 in connection with this. <clears throat> Whereas we meditate on why, why would sin rob our joy? Well, in Psalm 51, it's very clear that God's fatherly hand is against David and it will be also against us because he loves us. He, his hand is heavy upon us, says, since, says Psalm 32. So we lose that sense of joy and, and, and that we will long for it again. But then in Jeremiah 2, Jeremiah 2, verses 12 and 13, we hear the Lord God say to his people, Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked, be utterly desolate, declares the Lord, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. And this is what sin is. It is right from the day Adam and Eve fell into sin. It is saying no to God as being anti-God and, and pro-sin, trying to find a banquet in the grave when we have eternal joys in the presence of the Lord. How, how can we possibly think uh, we will find uh, joy in sin. Unrepented sin and joy cannot be companions. They, they can't travel together because sin is ultimately to leave the God who is the source of all joy. 
And so the solution to that is repentance. Where there is sin in our life, unrepented sin, uh, hidden sin, concealed sin that we have not confessed to the Lord. Well, James 4 says, let your joy turn to gloom. You have no reason. This is fake joy that you're putting on right now. Weep, wail, mourn, and God will exalt the humble. If you are humbled today, God will exalt you. As Basil of of Caesarea or Basil the Great, the church father, said, mourning, mourning over our sin is the seed from which the flower of of joy grows. As as we acknowledge our sin and confess our sin and come in repentance to to the cross, to, to Christ for his grace, that joy is restored. So sin is an enemy. And the answer, the resolution, the solution to that is is repentance. But affliction can also be an enemy of joy. Whether it's suffering, grief, sorrow. This This is a broad category. I intend it to be that way. But it can also be depression. A depression that that can't be explained necessarily in terms of a particular sin that someone has committed. Psalm 88 stands out as as an example of that. Where there is is zero joy. There's There's not even a mention of hope in joy. The only way that joy is possibly present in that psalm is the fact that the psalmist is still crying out to God, the source of joy. What do we do when the sorrows of life, maybe depression or anxiety, I, I, I meet this often in my pastoral ministry. I, I'm by nature not a very anxious person. That comes with weaknesses as well, but I'm not prone to that. I, don't, I tend not to go there. I can be cynical. We'll see in a moment. That's also an enemy of joy. But anxiety is not my thing. Depression is not my thing, but it is for many. And it's a huge struggle, a big struggle. Well, David also knew this. Please turn with me to Psalm 43. Psalm 43. We'll just pick it up here at verse 2. You are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. This is probably the closest we get to a definition of joy in the Bible. And I will praise you with a lyre, O God, my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why David doesn't even know. Like, why? I, I can't explain it. And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. And so what is David's answer? It's not to say, well, I'm going to look for joy. I'm going to do whatever I need to do to find that joy. Right? As as C.S. Lewis would say, he he spent much of his life on, on a quest for joy. 
trying to find it, often in mythology. He talked about this feeling of northernness, where he'd be drawn into into the, the myths of northern people, of Norse mythology, and so forth. And he said, every, every so often I would get this... What I what 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 I think now was was maybe an, a a sense of joy, but it was always fleeting and it was always gone. It always left me yearning for for that more. But he said, I realized you don't get joy by searching for joy; you get joy by finding Christ. And that's what Psalm forty three is telling us: when you don't feel it, go to God, who is your exceeding joy. You know that He is. And so I counsel people, as I remind myself in my own struggles, don't wait for that struggle to go away. Don't say, well, once I find my joy, once I have the feelings, then I will go to God. No, but in the midst of them, in the midst of that anxiety, you cling to Christ. He is our joy. He is your joy. That's where you go. Go to God, your exceeding joy. David hasn't found it yet in this psalm. He does not end the psalm saying, I've got it now. But he says, hope in God, for I shall again praise him. That joy will return because I know the God of my exceeding joy. Ingratitude is another enemy. Ingratitude. That's why I read earlier Philippians 4, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice. Paul says this is a command of God. Even if you don't feel it, put it on. Say it. Say it to God. Not because you don't believe it. If you don't believe it, well, then you need to be converted. <laughs> you need to come to Christ and, and you need the, the, the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. But if as a child of, of God, those feelings just are not following your faith, well, don't not choose to rejoice. No, no rejoice. Do that. Ingratitude. I think that this is particularly a struggle for men. The grumpies, complaining, being irritable, coming home to our castle and finding some reason to, to, to grumble about it. And Paul says rejoice. Psalm 16 tells us, reminds us to say, look around at your inheritance. And here's where I want to spend a little bit of time. This is something that uh, over the past probably five years, I've really been striving to grow in. Um, and that is to find joy in the small things. This idea that to embrace God as our joy means that we can't enjoy steak and potatoes, that we can't enjoy uh, camping and jogging and so forth is a lie. Right in the beginning, what did, what did God make? He, made a, he, he created the world, he created Adam and Eve, and he said, here you go. The lie of Satan was to make them think, well, God's not very good. He's withholding that one tree from you. When in fact, God had said, look, it's all yours to enjoy. First Timothy 4, the Apostle Paul says, everything God has created is to be received with thanksgiving. It's good it's to be received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. What that means is these two things go together. It's not, well, God is my joy, so now I can enjoy whatever I want, however I want. 
But it's that as I am bathing my life in the word of God in prayer, as I am coming home to God, as I am centering my life in him and finding my joy in him, I can find joy in all in God through all those things that he has made and that he has given to me. That God created the world so that we might have a sense of wonder and gratitude at all of these gifts that he's given. Deuteronomy 28, verse 47. You might be familiar with those passages as blessings and cursings upon Israel. And in the midst of all the cursings, we are surprised to find God say to his people, if my punishments come upon you, it will because of be because you did not serve the Lord your God with joy and gladness of heart for the abundance of everything. Right? He's saying all of these created gifts, you did not receive them with joy and gladness. And so that tendency to, to, to be blind to the gifts that are right in front of us, not to enjoy the small things, when what really what God is saying to us in every day, speaking to us in every day, is here are all of my, the people I put in your pathway, your wife, your children, your church family, your job, your lot in life. These are my gifts to you. This is, this is where you enjoy, my, my goodness, take of these gifts and enjoy them. Or as the father will say to his son in Proverbs 5, drink water from your own cistern, enjoy the wife of your youth. Why, why are you seeking other women? No, God, God has given you your wife, enjoy your wife. Um, Joe Rigney, in his book, The Things of Earth, he writes this. He's, he's talking about his son. They're playing and having fun, and he's tickling his, his little infant son. They're having a good time. And he says, we are all like my son, practical infants when it comes to solid joys and lasting pleasures. We can't imagine what God has in store for us. Our minds are not big enough yet. Our hearts are not large enough yet. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard. And the only way to prepare for the coming glories is to press into what God has given us now. If we're to eventually be entrusted with the laughter of heaven, we must faithfully enjoy the music of God that we hear now. So, so to, to go through life with that joy, that gratefulness in all the small gifts and the big ones, but also the small ones that God gives to us. That's our calling. Ecclesiastes 3. I perceived, verse 22, that nothing is better than that a man should rejoice in his own works, for that is his heritage. For who can bring him to see what will happen after him? And as Pastor Tim was talking about legacy, I was thinking of, of this passage that I was going to read from, that as we are seeking to, to build a, a godly legacy, that includes rejoicing in the everyday gifts that God has given to us. 
So spiritual joy, true joy embraces God and all his created gifts. We are not to go through life as, as uh, puddle glums. We are to go to life as, through life as those, though we cry, though we get angry, though we mourn, though we grieve the loss of good things. We're not meant to be stoic. We're not always meant to have this plastic smile on our faces. But we never, we never have a license to complain and be bitter and grumbling curmudgeons. Often that sin can just be allowed. We kind of smirk at it and we say, oh yeah, he's just a curmudgeon. But it's actually not okay. Then... Another application is to be faithful in worship. If we find our joy faltering, if we do find bitterness and, uh, and other enemies of joy creeping up, well, as Psalm 16 reminds us, because I have set God at my right hand, because I've always put God before me, Therefore, he says, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. And this is one of the reasons why the Psalms are so important for us. It's a good time and time and time again. We have these communal calls to worship. We say, come, let's go. Let's go to the house of God. Let's praise him. Let's sing. Let's rejoice in our God. So go to corporate worship. Spend time in private worship. Absolutely. Go to God, your exceeding joy, but also go to be with the people of God, where God promises to show up Sunday by Sunday in the body of Christ. Go. Come together with God's people and worship that together we, we are doing this and hold, you know, at Ephesians chapter 5. We hear uh, how we are to be filled with the Spirit by admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We're, we're calling to one another. Say, come, let's go. Come. You know, you are, you are struggling with anxiety right now. You are struggling with depression. You are struggling with doubt. You are going through something else together. We can remind each other who it, what it is that, that we have in God. And then ultimately... The pathway of joy. We grow in joy. We pursue joy. We quest for joy by looking to Jesus. Please turn with me to Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 12. <clears throat> you probably already knew I was going to go there. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. Jesus was filled with the Spirit without measure. Jesus had joy. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. 
in our fight for joy, in our quest for joy, remember this. In our darkest of days, we will never know the sorrow that Christ carried to the cross. At the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, I'm so sad I could die. That's literally what he says, right? I am sorrowful to the point of death. And he was sweating drops of blood. And he goes to the cross and he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? None of us, none of us in this life will ever know what that's like. In fact, no one ever will know what Christ carried on the cross, the the wrath of God, infinite punishment, infinite wrath. That was suffering untold of of which we, we will never, ever know. And yet it was for the joy set before him that he was willing to go through all of that. He said, Father, not my will, but yours be done. So how could we, if we are looking to Jesus, the one who ran looking toward the joy set before him, how could we not ourselves also then run this race with joy? This is our call, but we do this not in our own strength. We do this in Christ, who is the founder and perfecter. He's the beginning and the end. He's the one who gives us this faith. He's the one who gives us this joy. He's also the one then who will carry us there. That he who went through this first on our behalf, a real person, not just a concept in my mind or your minds, not just a set of theological statements, not just a set of doctrines, but a real person. He promises to give us grace promises to help us in our time of need. And it's in that vein, it's in that sense that we look to Jesus to bring us there and to give us the joy that was in him first fully and completely. All of God's graces flow to us in and through Jesus Christ. So how do we get joy? Even as we heard earlier from Pastor Tim, in Christ the whole Christ and only Christ. And we have him now and we have eternal, the beginning of eternal joy already now. But it's in his strength alone then that we continue on that quest for consummate joy. When all of the crying, all of the tears, all of the presence of sin falls away and we know eternal joys and lasting pleasures at God's right hand. I want to close with one more passage. Isaiah 35. This beautiful passage about this quest for joy, this journey to joy. I'm not going to read the whole chapter. Just set it up a little bit here. After a number of chapters of telling the people of Judah, why they need to trust the Lord and not the nations around them. All the reasons why God holds the nations in his hands. God is their savior. God is their rescuer. They can trust him. They don't need to run to the nations for help. In chapter 34, we have this vision of what sin does. Everything becomes a wilderness, a desolate, broken, sad, miserable place. That's what sin does. That's what happens when we follow idols, when we run after things that are not God. And then in, verse, in chapter 35, then God gives us a picture of what we have in him when we trust him. And first, we read about the wilderness being filled with plants, being filled with vegetation, about how water will break forth into the desert. 
And then we hear this call in verses 3 and 4 to, to strengthen the weak hands, to say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. And we hear this very clear prophecy of Christ. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame man, sh- uh, then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy for waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. That's Christ who through those physical healings was giving us signposts to who he is and what his kingdom is all about. And the waters breaking forth, he is the living water and pouring out his spirit at Pentecost that promise, he says, when you come to me and drink, then out of you will flow river, rivers of living water. That is, is fulfilled all in Christ. And then we have this call to come home to God, who is our joy. Verses 8 to 10. <clears throat> we'll close with that. Our quest for joy. And a highway shall be there, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come up on it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. We cannot say with absolute certainty how all of this will work out, in fact, but this we know. To walk with God is to walk in security, in blessing, in glory, and in joy. And if these are limited now, there is coming a day in which they will be only as limited as he is. Thank you. <clears throat> if I if I may just give a couple of uh, book suggestions that have been a blessing to me. Living Life Backward by David Gibson. It's a it's a uh, it's a commentary on Ecclesiastes. Just a great little book, simple, accessible, a good study guide, a good study book actually for a men's group. And then also Death by Living by Nate, uh, Nate Wilson or N. D. Wilson. Death by Living. It's a it's a fun ride. And then also uh, by Jerry Bridges, The Joy of Fearing God. Excellent book. Uh, again, very accessible, but just solid. Um, soul feeding stuff. Thank you.